Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 290 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into our episode after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first, and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Hmm. 
see. Leafy greens, hot peppers, fresh fruit, and aromatic herbs. No, I'm not making a grocery list. I'm making a list of all the incredible foods you can grow in the comfort of your own home. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, Dr. Joy, I don't have a green thumb to grow my own food. To which I respond, you're not born with a green thumb, you earn it. Today, I'm joined by internationally recognized urban farmer and food activist, Jamila Norman. Jamila, or former J, is the founder of Patchwork City Farms, a 1.2-acre farm planted in downtown Atlanta. In our conversation, Jamila spoke about what kinds of foods to grow in your home with limited space, some of the key tools you'll need to get started with gardening, what to pay attention to during the crop development process, and the rich, empowering history of Black folks stewarding the land. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TVGInSession. Or join us over in the Sister Circle to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jamila. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation. Yeah, so I would love if you could get us started by talking about who in your family got you into farming. Talk to us about your ancestral ties to farming. Yeah, my ancestral ties to farming is really through my parents, right? My family from the Caribbean. My mom is from Jamaica. My dad is from Trinidad. They're the ones that grew up with a farming background, their grandparents were the last farmers on both sides. And my mother really talked a lot about her childhood growing up in Jamaica. She was raised by her grandmother. So my great grandmother and great grandfather, she was raised by them and they lived off the land. They lived in a small village up in the mountains in Jamaica. And then my parents met in New York. So even though I grew up in New York, I also got an opportunity to live in Trinidad for a couple of years on and off over a two-year period to visit my dad's home country and just being surrounded by fresh fruits and vegetables. And that memory definitely stayed with me. And it just was something that I knew growing up, even being born and raised in New York, I just knew I wanted to have for myself at some point. Mm-hmm. It feels like you are still very connected to those stories of your parents and your great grandparents. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about why it might be important to get kids involved with things like farming? Yeah, it's really great to be involved with farming in the sense of just really having a connection to your food, really understanding where it comes from, what it looks like, and the accessibility of it for people to be able to grow something. Farming is definitely not an industry for everyone as a career choice, but gardening is definitely something anybody could do, right? And gardening is sort of, you know, what you do at your home, what you're able to do in your community, if you're part of a community garden, things like that. So it brings a lot of joy, it kind of slows you down, it kind of gets you connected to the cycles of nature. It just really gives you a different perspective in life on just how the natural world is operating around us, for us, how we can be part of it really actively, whether it's food and medicine, beauty, clothing, shelter, all those things come from the land. It's really rewarding when you get to practice that through gardening, through farming. 
Mm-hmm. So you mentioned being born and growing up in New York. And I think a lot of our community also live in cities like New York and places where they have limited space, right? So people are talking about like trying to start gardens from their balcony or from their window and those kinds of things. What kinds of foods would you recommend for people who have limited space? Yeah, I mean, one of the easiest things are definitely like herbs. Herbs are really easy. They add a lot of flavor and Leafy greens are really easy and rewarding. Some things that don't necessarily take a lot of skill, but it might take a little bit of time or like things like onions, garlic, like that. You know, you kind of just stick it in the ground and you leave it for six months and you come and harvest it. It's not a whole lot. They're not really fussy plants, but they just take time. So yeah, especially people with balconies or growing in containers, I always tell people to kind of start off with herbs, leafy greens, and that can be from lettuces to arugulas to kale to collars to your mustard greens. So just kind of find out whatever that sort of leafy green that is probably really culturally relevant to you. And then some herbs are perennial, like you plant them one time and they just keep producing year after year. Some things you have to plant every year. And then, you know, also depending on kind of where you are, if you are in a climate that gets cold, Or if you're in a climate that's warm, it'll help determine some of the things you can grow in the varieties as well. Mm -hmm. We talk about often here when we're starting new things, I think it's important to kind of get a boost of confidence and like to start pretty easy so that you feel like, okay, this is something that I can keep up with. So the things that you've mentioned, like the herbs, like garlic, onion, the leafy greens, Mm -hmm. are those things that you feel like are good for like beginner, beginner people to give them a boost of confidence? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely would say those are good things to start. And I would also say to really add to that, make sure you start off with transplants as opposed to seeds especially with herbs, because a lot of herbs, the seeds are really small and they take a really long time to germinate, right? For instance, parsley will take up to three weeks before that seed coat will open up and break forth. So if you can go to your local nursery supply store and you buy your little herb plants and get going with that, you can take them out of that smaller pot, put them in a bigger pot so that they grow bigger. I would always recommend people Start off with transplants first, so figure out how you can kind of keep your plants going, figure out how water it, how much light and everything you need. And then seed starting is sort of like another level, right? I think a lot of people think, oh, just get some seeds, throw it in the ground, it'll grow. And then they're discouraged. Seeds get a little finicky. So definitely start off with plants. So Jamila, I just want to stop you because, you know, we this may be some beginner. So you're saying like go to like a local nursery or something and find like something that is already bloomed or something like you go and find an actual plant that has already like propagated or whatever the word is. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're called transplants, right? So, you know, you're going to go go find the baby plants at your, I don't know, you know, your Home Depot, your Ace Hardware, your Lowe's, your Pike's Nurseries, you know, whatever that garden center is. And usually they'll have a section where all the edible things, right? And so, you know, you'll find a little small rosemary or you'll find a small oregano or something like that. And you take that. And those are just, they're in a small, like four inch pot. And you take that and you're going to grow it out. I mean, Rosemary can grow really big. Oregano things can grow bigger. So then you can take that small transplant and you transplant it into your bigger pot, your container garden, or into your raised bed or into the ground. And then it grows to like a full 
full bush, full plant. If you want to start with seeds and you want that experience, lettuces are really easy from seeds. So when you think about leafy greens, the leafy greens are much easier from seeds, right? So your lettuces, your kale, your collars, they'll sprout pretty quickly. So herbs, I would say start with transplants and then the leafy greens, you start off with seeds and you can kind of have both. But yeah, herbs can be a little finicky from seeds. So I always tell people, go get those transplants. You're more than halfway there. So how much sun does someone need to be able to like start an indoor kind of a plant? Like what kinds of things should we be measuring for adequate sunlight? Okay, this is the biggest thing because in working with people over the years, people totally underestimate how much sun things need. You need a minimum of six, upwards to eight hours. So six to eight hours of sunlight that you need to really grow your herbs, your vegetables. Like these plants, they need sun. They do not grow in the shade. So do not find the shadiest corner. If you have a challenge getting sun, then you're probably going to have to look at getting some grow lights if you're really committed to like growing something. But yeah, if you have a balcony, if you have a sunny window, you just kind of want to pay attention to how much sun comes in. And it doesn't have to be like direct, like, piercing sunlight, but like light coming through your window for at least six to eight hours is what you want and you'll have success. So Mm -hmm. do not underestimate. That's number one thing. Got it. You need some good sun to grow food. Are there any plants that grow better in shade or no? Not really. There are probably some lettuces you could probably get away with that will grow in some shady environments, which you won't get like probably like a good head, you'll get some some leaf and it won't be like the most robust it can be, right? The plant is not going to be the best it can be. So not really. There are plants that wouldn't mind, like they'll get diffuse sunlight. In Georgia, sometimes, you know, during the summer, it gets really, really hot. So if I wanted to like, say, grow lettuces in the summertime in Georgia, then I might plant it near my cucumbers or near my tomatoes, a plant that kind of gets a little bit. So it provides a little bit of shade during the hottest part of the day. So it doesn't really burn up too much because too much sun can be a thing too. And it's really more so too much heat, right? And so that's a situation where you would be looking for a little bit of shade. But really in the summertime, we have like 10 to 12 hours of daylight. So, you know what I mean? You have a really long window of sunlight. So you're just providing a a bit of a break for that plant. So yeah, six to eight hours. And like I said, if you don't have that, you might have to supplement with some lights. And you know, people do that, you know, if they grow plants, indoor plants, and you don't have enough light, get a grow light and you just, you know, Google, find one and just, and just have it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So are there any un- unconventional places in our homes that we might not be thinking about that we could actually use to actually grow plants? Conventional places. You know, it really depends on where you have light. You probably could grow bathroom might be an unconventional place. And I don't know if people would be open to it, but a lot of people tend to have a window or something like that in the bathroom. And, you know, it stays kind of moist and things like that. So it might be a good environment. I like a kitchen windowsill, your bedroom. I mean, you know, you can bring plants into any room. It's going to provide something green and fresh. If you're bringing herb, they also can be something that really smells good. If you like the smell of something, if you want to grow like a lavender or a lemongrass or something like that, 
you bring that into the bedroom, that can be also something that you're engaging and interacting with. And you just sort of get that, that aromatherapy as well, if you're not necessarily using it all the time for cooking. And then, you know, edible flowers, it provides both beauty and it's something you can eat as well. And, you know, those are some really cool things that you can grow and kind of dual purpose. So talk to us about what other things we need to get started with forming or having a small garden. So you've already talked about like pots so that we can like repot the small transplants that we get from the store. What other kinds of things do we need to get started? Yeah. So most important thing, six to eight hours of sunlight, right? Sunlight is the best, but if you need to supplement your sunlight with a grow light, definitely need to do that. Good soil, right? Do not skimp out, especially if you are going to be in pots, even if you're going to be in a raised bed, try to buy the best soil that you can afford and really look for a soil that is formulated for growing food, especially if you're buying it in bags. Once you start going into building raised beds or you're working with soil in the ground and you want to amend that soil, then you'll most likely be calling up landscaping companies and you're getting soil dropped off. But if you're doing containers, if you're doing pots, buy good soil, okay? Not soil conditioner, that's not a soil. Don't buy the cheapest stuff. Buy the best stuff you can afford, right? Because the soil is everything. The plants are growing. Like That's the medium that's going to give them the nutrients and everything they need. And of course, water, right? And, you know, it needs your attention and your love. It needs you to pay attention to it, make sure it's watered. And really the container, you can get real creative with containers. I mean, people grow in grow bags. People grow in all potato sacks. You can grow in gallon size bottles that you chop the top. I mean, like you can get really creative. The container really is just to hold the soil and you want to make sure whatever container you use has drainage holes on the bottom, right? And so on the bottom, if you're repurposing something, make sure you figure out a way so that if you overwater it, it doesn't soak the roots. A lot of roots don't like to sit in water. But yeah, sun, soil, good soil, you get your plant, you get your good seeds. With seeds, you have to be careful in the sense of making sure that you don't use super old seeds because the older seeds are, the less likely they are to germinate, especially if they haven't been stored well. Try to get fresh seeds. So definitely, I would say the necessary elements are making sure you have good amount of sunlight. And if not sunlight, supplementing with the grow light having really the best soil that you can buy, and obviously water. Rainwater is best. If you can collect rainwater, oh my God, plants love, 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 love rainwater. The next thing is, yeah, you can use tap water, absolutely. And then, you know, you, just paying attention to it, loving on the plant, you know, talk to them, check on them, make sure they have everything they need. So is there a gardening tool or something that we might need that we don't necessarily need to splurge on, but we should be mindful of having? Gardening too. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing a container garden, for the most part, you would need a simple hand spade or like a little small hand shovel so that you can transplant your plants and maybe like a little small garden fork. Usually, you know, you'll find a kit of like three or four different gardening tools, starter garden tools in a packet. But it'll be a hand shovel, a little small hand fork, and maybe some kind of weeding tool. If you are growing outdoors and you're in sort of raised beds, 
those would change from being a hand tool to actually like a big garden tool. So it'd be like definitely a shovel, a pitchfork, which would, you know, replace the hand fork. Those are the two main ones. And then something, you know, some type of weed and tool. Usually that's a good old standard garden hoe, but there are a bunch of different types of hoes. So you can get more and more complicated depending on how in-depth you get with your farm garden project. But those are the two main your shovel, your pitchfork or your hand fork, and then some kind of weeding. Got it. More from my conversation with Jamila after the break. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve, and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in stores to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API Scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Are you ready for a family vacation you will never forget? 
one where anything is possible? If so, it's time to plan your getaway to sunny Orlando. Orlando really is the ultimate family destination. It's time to break out the matching bedazzled t-shirt, dust off your go-to dad jokes, and prepare for exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, and fresh new dining experiences, and so much more. Of course, you know that Orlando is the theme park capital of the world, with 15 of the world's top theme parks and water parks all in one place, and beyond the parks, there is also excitement and family fun around every corner. If you're ready to plan an epic Orlando vacation, but you're not sure where to start, you can talk one-on-one with one of their Visit Orlando vacation planners. In Orlando, anything is possible. If you can imagine it, plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. You mentioned the term germination. And so I wonder if you could talk us through like the plant development process. So like what is germination? What are the stages? What are we paying attention to? So germination refers to the seed. So if you're starting from a seed, right? Seed 101, all the information you need in terms of how to plant the seed, what to do with it, what to expect, how long it takes is on the seed packet. So make sure whenever you buy your seed package, just look on the back and it'll give you everything you need. When you buy a seed and you put it in the soil, depending on the seed, you'll bury it a certain depth or whatever. You'll kind of Cover it with soil. Some seeds don't need much soil to cover them because they're really small. And then you'll water it and you're waiting for that seed to germinate. And so that seed coating will open up. That plant will send out its sprout. It'll break the surface and boom, your seed has germinated. So success number one, your seed has germinated. Once the seed has germinated, then it'll start to form its true leaves. So the first set of leaves are just the germination leaves. I forget exactly what they call them. Those are not the true leaves. And then the second set will be, oh, these are the leaves of the actual plant. This is what the rest of the leaves of that plant will look like. And then it'll just grow. And so depending on the crop, it can take somewhere between a few days up to three weeks for that seed to germinate. And you'll just need to know based on the type of seed and the crop that you have purchased. And so after it germinates, now it's going to grow. If it's in a small container, depending on the crop, so most people will start seeds in something smaller. And then once it's germinated, they will pick the strongest plant and they will take that plant and then they will put it in its final location, whether it's in your pot or in the raised bed or in the ground. And from there, it'll grow. And if it's a leafy green, you probably are going to let it grow for about a month and a half before you start harvesting. If it's like cucumbers and tomatoes, it might be two to three months before it then flowers and then fruits. So it just really depends on the crop. But from seed, it'll germinate. And then after it germinates, then it'll start growing and you'll have a baby plant. And after that, it'll grow and mature into the final plant that you want and that plant will either produce leafy greens or it might produce a root crop. Those are your carrots, your beets, and things like that. It might produce fruits like your technically tomatoes and cucumbers and all those things are fruits because anything that comes out of a flower is a fruit. And then to, you know, the final life cycle to when it's done and then you pull it out and compost it. Are all of the directions in terms of like watering and all of that, like on the Mm -hmm. back of the seed packet? Yeah, it really is. Everything is really on the back of the seed packet. Everything you need to know, how many seeds to plant, 
how far apart if you're planting multiples of that crop. You know, they might be like, if you want to plant five tomato plants, you want to space them two feet apart. If you're planting like lettuces that you're cutting for a salad, you're going to plant those really close together because you cut it and it grows and cut and grows. So all of that information, how often the water, how much sunlight it needs, best place in the garden to put it, and the full life cycle, right? So they'll tell you how long it will take to germinate and how long before you'll start harvesting from it and the soil requirements and the nutrient requirements. So seed packets have all the information. You just flip it over to the backside, you read it, and some people even have a, like a little QR code for like more information on a website or something like that. Got it. So, okay. Yeah. And are you... usually seed packets that you're getting at the store, right? You know, obviously if somebody just gives you some seeds, they got to go get you a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying like from these same places that you talked about buying the transplants, right? Like the nurseries mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Because I know I've seen these like little starter kits at like a Target. And I don't feel like I've seen all that information on the back of the seed packets at Target. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the starter kit, you know, I haven't done one of those. And they may have the instructions inside the kit. But I know definitely like standard seed packets. There's all kinds. And, you know, they're organic brands. There are conventional ones that you'll find at your local box store and they flip it over. All that information is on there. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. And, you know, and you might need to kind of like look up the terms, you know, they'll say stuff like in row spacing, what rows, what are we talking about? And especially when you're growing in a pot, there's a little bit of translation you have to do because most of it is written for people that are growing a standard garden in the ground. And, you know, you got your rows of beans and your rows of potatoes and your rows of tomatoes. So that's sort of what it is. But if it says, for instance, it's in a pot, plant it 12 inches apart. Well, if you have a pot that's only like 12 inch diameter, that's just one plant, right? And you kind of would want to repeat that. So kind of Think about the width of your pot as the kind of that width on the seed packet. So you'll know how many plants you can kind of put in that pot. So the bigger the pot, you can put more stuff and you can cluster things together, too. So let's talk a little bit about urban farming. Can you talk about what that is and what impact that has on like a city's sustainability and climate? Urban farming is essentially farming in the urban environment. So that can happen obviously anywhere, you know, you're literally farming in the city. And the effects for me, you know, my background is environmental engineering. And I came from a background of like studying wastewater, air, pollution, how to solve some of those issues and some of those problems. And there's a slew of things that we're dealing with in cities, bad air pollution, the more hardscapes you create in a city, the more runoff you have, because now the water's not soaking into the soil, loss of diversity of plants and animals. So in doing a farm in the city, you're taking a space that for some people starts off at just a parking lot or a site that nobody's doing anything with. And you're transforming that space into a lush green environment that is helping to clean out the air because plants do, you know, they're taking in carbon dioxide and putting out oxygen. You're taking an environment that now you're growing all this food and that food is using up the rain. And so it's using up a lot of that water that falls on it as opposed to 
you know, maybe before it was just running off or whatever. It's just providing beauty and you plant a garden and you will be surprised what shows up from the animal kingdom. I mean, all kinds of things. You plant flowers, you bring back all kinds of pollinators and birds now have a resting place and you see caterpillars and butterflies and and just all kinds of stuff. So it really brings back all of that diversity. And then, you know, just people in general just are like, people love a garden space. And people come by all the time and they're just like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And I love when older people stop by and they're like remembering them growing up, having their garden, maybe out in the country. And they're just like, wow, you're doing this right here in the city. And they're just so proud and so excited to see the young folk, as they say, take it on this profession. And so it just sparks. So like this sort of magical kind of thing that it brings a whole nother type of life to a city besides like nightlife, you got garden life, you got the farm life in the city too. So I love it. I live five minutes away from my farm. My commute is easy. Um, <laughs> I get to just be outside and get fresh air. I get to be active and, you know, get to bring people along for the journey with me. So I love it. Mm-hmm. So is there anything you would have to be careful about growing in an urban environment, right? Like, are there any things that you would not want to introduce into the middle of a city? The only thing I would say, like, I don't know, don't grow some weed on it. <laughs> Just, you know, but really, that's the only thing I've ever cautioned anybody. I'm like, there's a lot of eyes. People are watching. You do not want to attract that kind of energy for any reason at all. People come thinking something else. I had some friends that were trying to grow hemp. And I was like, it looks the same and it smells the same. And people might think it's the same thing. And so I would caution against that. Right. But besides that, not really. I wouldn't say there would be anything that I wouldn't grow. I would say that some of the challenges of growing in an urban environment is all the things that are challenging about being in an urban environment. People stealing stuff and just a little bit of vandalism. But, you know, that comes with just being in an urban environment. I've got friends that don't grow in urban environments and, you know, dealt with some of the same stuff. Just like regular human existing stuff. Mm -hmm. But besides that, one thing you do want to be careful of, be mindful of the the space that you're going to be growing on, right? If you're in an urban environment, some spaces have a tendency to maybe have had a previous history where, I don't know, let's just say it was a gas station. I would not recommend you try to start a garden on a gas station or a laundromat just because the chemicals, the oils, the gas, you know, that kind of stuff is in that soil. It's in the ground and plants really do take up whatever is in the soil. And so EPA has some recommendations around what to do. You would want to test your soil. I definitely tested my soil before I started growing. And you just want to make sure that it doesn't have any high elevated levels of really heavy metals is the biggest concern and any other hydrocarbons or anything like that. Hydrocarbons will come from like oils and gases and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, that is the only thing I would say to really be mindful of in the urban environment is know the history of the site that you're getting ready to grow on. If it's like a standalone site and try to test that soil. If you're not able to do that, then most people would say grow in a raised bed or grow in containers so that you're not really growing in that soil in the ground and you're growing in soil that you brought in. 
Mm -hmm. Got it. So can you give us some tips about how we might identify what would be native or what typically thrive in our geographical location? So I'm guessing I'm also here in Atlanta. So what we would grow here might be different than somebody who would be maybe in Arizona. How do we know what will thrive depending on our geographics? Okay. So what you want to find out is you want to find out your growing zone. And there are zones, I think, one through eight and maybe nine down in Florida, right? So in Georgia, we're zone, it used to be like 7B. I think we're like 8A because it's just progressively gotten warmer. So you Google what growing zone am I in? And then, you know, you're like plants and vegetables for that zone. And it'll give you a list of the things you can grow. The difference between the zones is how long of a growing period you have. So in the South, we pretty much can grow year round, right? If you're up North, you might only have six months that you can grow something. You know what I mean? And so it just really reduces the time frame that you can grow. And then sometimes, for instance, you might pick a specific variety of a crop. So let's say I want to grow sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes generally take four months, right? 120 days. That's fine in Georgia. We got sun for days, right? For a long time. But if you're up north, it's not warm early enough to put the plant in. You'll pick a different sweet potato variety that might produce in 90 days. You're going to pick varieties specific to your zone. And then there are just some things you won't be able to grow in certain zones, right? Just because they just don't do well with the cold or they don't really do well with the heat. So yeah, find your growing zone. And then just find out what those fruits and vegetables and the varieties that you can grow in that zone. But generally, again, I mean, not to be like, you know, I should have stock in these big box stores, but what they are carrying locally are the things that can grow in your region, right? They're shopping for the region. And then if you want things that are, say, not in that store, then, you know, you're going to have to kind of do a little bit more research, go online, find different varieties. More from my conversation with Jamila after the break. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. 
They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. How many times have you arrived in Orlando and suddenly realized you forgot the kids? But then you remember, you had no intention of bringing the kids. You are in Orlando to enjoy yourself. It's an amazing opportunity to have fun and experience all the fun Orlando has to offer. Sure, Orlando is known as the theme park capital of the world, but there's so much more to this destination. It's the place where adults can become kids again, and happy hour happens any hour with never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, and outdoor adventures from zip lining to its beautiful natural springs. And, of course, fireworks every single night. Plus, you have loads of entertainment options, see unique neighborhoods, and can even visit their blossoming arts and culture. Orlando has everything for an amazing getaway with your loved ones or friends, including exciting thrill rides, lush, lazy rivers, and world-class golf and spas. Yes, there's more to see, do, and experience than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. So each episode of your Magnolia Network HBO show has a different theme. So the themes are patience, discovery, inspiration, different themes, different life skills. Can you talk about the skills that are important in farming and why that was important to kind of name them in that way? Skills that are important, I would say definitely patience is a good one. Like discovery, just just being open to the journey, not being super tied to an outcome. Look, I still have crop failures. I still have things that I try a little bit different. Even after 13 years of doing something, things go wrong. You're just, you know, the weather is different or you try a different variety. And they were like, oh, this is supposed to do this. And you try and you're like, well, that didn't do that. Or, you know, I mean, just be open to constantly learning, being patient and just be excited. People are like, well, I just, I don't have a green thumb. Well, hey, none of us have one until we do, right? Because it's just, it's practice. If it's something that you're really committed to, 
you're just gonna like do a lot of reading, definitely connect with your broader community of other people that are growing, problem solve with other folks. Hey, did this do this for you? Because today, you know, or people take notes. Journaling is really good to know what you did, where it worked. Sometimes plants can, you know, I planted it over here. It didn't do so well. Let me try it over here. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is a good spot for this plant. So yeah, just those qualities of just constantly being open to learn, being patient, observant, and just try to build a community around you of people that are doing it that you can talk to and constantly be learning, reading, educating yourself. I mean, I read all about gardening. I read gardening books for years long before I even started a garden. I just knew it was something I wanted to do. So I just was like, just filling myself with information, thinking about it. And then, you know, the opportunity presented itself and I went for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you mentioned something that I want to follow up on, Jamila. You talked about like the failure that sometimes yeah. happens, like when a crop doesn't happen. Can you talk a little bit more about like how you feel like you are paying attention or tending to your mental health as a farmer? Like what kinds of things pop up that people might not anticipate that they may want to know about? The biggest thing really as a farmer is the weather. That is the thing that like you can do all the right things and then something crazy happens like too much rain or like it's dry for a really long time. You know what I mean? So a drought in Atlanta, you know, we literally just had a major super freezing cold storm event. It was like negative 10 below me and all my farmer friends. You know, we covered all of our beds and our plants and, you know, I had like 70%, 80% crop failure, like in terms of full grown plants that are just gone. So, you know, it happens that part of farming can be definitely like when you talk about mental health, like farmers just being like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because, you know, your farm is your livelihood. You know, what you have in the ground, that's your money. Like I'm growing my money. We said money doesn't grow on trees. Yes, it does. If you're a farmer, it grows on the fruit trees. It grows on those kale bushes. You know what I mean? Like it does. I'm like, that's the money out there because we have to go sell that. And that's how we make our money. So when you have those failures, it can be really just like, whoa, because you're trying to figure out, I have employees, I have myself, I've got bills, you know, we're running a business, right? As a farmer. And so that's why it's important to have a network. We're talking to other farmers. There's a network of organizations that really support farmers. So they're looking for ways how they can kind of give us a little bit of money to help us get transplants, get some seeds back, get that back in the ground. I mean, you definitely have lost that time. You can't gain that time back. You got to say a prayer. I literally just came back from vacation. They sent me a message and they were like, Jamila, how's it going? I said, you know what, y'all? I'm not thinking about it. So I'm on vacation. And when I get back, I will get to it because I can worry about it. It's happened, right? Yeah. And the end of the year is a time where, you know, the winter time, it's a time, you know, things are growing slower. It's a time that I generally, me and my farm staff, you know, and team, We take some time off because, you know, it's the holidays. Stuff is growing slower anyways. Winter slows everything down. So it's a really good time for us to take some time away and just sort of recoup. And I was like, and I'm going to do that Mm -hmm. because there's no point in crying over spill. So tomorrow I'll be back on the farm and, you know, we'll just go from there. 
but yeah, for some people it can be, it's can be really detrimental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'd love it, Jamila, if you would use your expertise to help us with a little activity. So we have a couple of okay. scenarios that we want to share with mm-hmm. you. See if you can give us some input on what these people should do with their farm or their garden. Yeah. All right. So Raymock put off gardening all of last year and is ready to get started today. She believes she has procrastinated long enough. She has a guest room in her apartment that has a ton of natural light. She loves to cook Eritrean food. So she's looking for anything to reach back to her family's roots. What would you suggest she grow? Okay. So actually, it's interesting. I grew a specific type of basil and a pepper this year that was both used heavily in that cuisine. And it was called holy basil, besbola. B-S-B-O-L-A is the type of basil. And it's one of those herbs that grows really well, really easy, smells amazing. And she will have to find the seeds and have to start that from seeds, but basil sprouts really well from seed. And then I grew this hot pepper and it's brown and it's like used heavily in that cuisine as well. Murko fauna was the name of the pepper. And peppers are also a summer crop that is super abundant. Most people that grow peppers are like, okay, you just need one pepper plant and it'll produce a ton. So in her apartment, the only thing with the pepper is it does need to be pollinated. Bees, butterflies, all kinds of things just need to kind of come and move. She might have to hand pollinate. Like, so you take a little, a little brush, a little paintbrush, and you go from one flower to the next. And that's how you hand pollinate. You just get in pollen from one flower, put on the next. And you just kind of do that a little bit. I would do herbs. She could probably do some greens. Yeah, some leafy greens. They don't need to be pollinated. Yeah, leafy greens in pots. Keep them all near the window. If she needs to supplement with a grow light, do that. I would try pepper and maybe a couple of tomatoes. Peppers and tomatoes would need their own like one pepper plant in a at least a 12-inch pot and tomatoes as well. Don't crowd them. In a 12-inch pot, you could probably do maybe like three collards or kale or some kind of leafy green. And then basil can be like a six-inch pot or, I mean, you can get bigger with basil, but yeah. Okay. All right, let's move on. Start. Yeah, that yeah. is a good start. Let's move on to our second person. So Morinola is a Nigerian mother whose children have both moved out. With her free time, she wants to get into growing some fresh herbs. Morinola loves to have a fresh cup of tea every morning, so growing anything that she can add as a flavor to her tea, she wants to sign up. She plans to grow outside on her balcony, which gets a ton of sun, and she also wants to be mindful not to grow anything that will harm her dog. What would you suggest? Well, I mean, tea is really easy. I mean, you can grow, you can grow mint, you can grow lavender, you can grow lemongrass, lemon balm. You can grow different types of basil. Some basils are really nice in teas. Rosemary, if she likes chamomile. On the balcony, you can grow a ton. You can grow a bunch of different herbs. So yeah. Lots yeah. of options there. Mm-hmm. Lots of options. Okay. Yeah. Because now we've moved outside. We're getting fresh air. <laughs> Pollinators are coming on the balcony. You're also getting rain. You'll probably get a lot more sun. So kind of opens it up a lot more. Got it. Okay. So we have one last one. So Nia Lena is a new mom. She wants to start a small garden to begin teaching her son the value of growing your own food. 
She doesn't have a lot of time and needs something that will not die on her easily and also be fun for her son to interact with. She plans to start her garden on a window seal that gets a ton of natural light, but is also a rather small one. What suggestions would you have? So, yeah, so I would do lettuces and greens. I would do some herbs. Kids, surprisingly enough, love radishes, which who would have known? I mean, <laughs> I started growing radishes with kids at school. They're beautiful. They're red. And when kids grow stuff themselves, they eat it. Mm. And radishes are a little spicy. And, you know, kids like like spicy things. They're like, you know, they're like Takis. They like spicy chips. So like radishes is kind of like that. And that grows in like 30 days. It's like, it's fun. So it's like a root vegetable. Carrots. Carrots might be a good one too. Because they don't need a lot of space. And then try cucumbers or tomatoes. Because generally... Kids are always like, yeah, we want to grow pickles. And I'm like, yeah, grow cucumbers and then you can make pickles. So they like pickles. That, that's a fun thing to grow with kids as well. Cucumbers are produced faster and they'll be a lot more easier than like tomatoes. But generally, those are the two. If you're not big on tomatoes, peppers could be a good substitute for that as well. Yeah. Okay. I would not have thought that about radishes, but I love that you introduced yeah, that. Kids love radishes and it's fun. It's easy. It sprouts really fast and it's beautiful. It's color. And then you can get really crazy with radishes in terms of the different color. There are purple ones, white ones, pink ones, red ones. There are ones that are round or ones that are long and skinny, you know, so it can get really fun with radishes and they're super good for you too. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. So something that you mentioned earlier, Jamila, that I want to go back to, you talked about like how you will have sometimes elders visit the garden and really kind of feel like reconnecting to history and kind of reconnecting to an older time. And that's something else that's, I think, really important about your work is that there is a clear reverence of like the history of Black folks in gardening and informing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about maybe something that's overlooked related to Black forming that you think people should know? Yeah. The narrative that we hear a lot around Black farming is like, oh, we've lost so much farmers. And, you know, that is true. Black people have lost a lot of farmland through all kinds of discriminatory practices. So we didn't lose it. It was stolen from us. I like to use the right words by our government that I don't think people really think Black people are that connected to farming and to the land. And, you know, we really are. We have been carrying ancestral knowledge for a long time. So chart of the reason we were brought to this country, not just labor, but really the knowledge that we had of working the earth, of growing things, of cultivating clothing, cotton, you know, shelter, all the things. And so that was knowledge that we came with and that was knowledge that we retained and really passed down through different generations. And so in all of our culinary traditions as well, it's very much food and land related in the sense of like, Southern cuisine, Caribbean cuisine, African cuisine. I mean, it's so much of like what's fresh, what's available. You know, a lot of people talk about their grandparents, especially here in the South. You know, we used to go down South, we'd visit our grandparents and we'd go out into the garden and you'd pick your peas or you pick your greens or you do this or you do that. And, you know, I have memories of doing that when we lived in Trinidad. You know, we would harvest vegetables. We'd harvest fruit off the tree, you know, go up to the mango tree, get this, go get your tamarind, go get this. And, you know, we would be using that to prepare our meals for the week. We have a rich history. It's still alive. It's just not publicized. You know what I mean? And Black people are still connected to the land. 
They're out here doing it. They love it. They have a deep respect and a reverence for it. And we know it's part of our healing and it's part of our story and it will always be part of our story. Something else that you talk about is food sovereignty. So can you say a little bit about what that means to you and how it impacts us as Black folks? Food sovereignty is really about having control of the food that you're consuming, having access to it, and also food that's culturally relevant, food that is necessary for your cultural expression through food because food is culture. And just being in the position to be part of creating food that is feeding your community, right? Your cultivating that food with a certain type of intention of healing, of growth, of culture, of togetherness. And so that is going to carry on through the people that are engaging with you, that are buying from you, that are all of that. And people want to see themselves reflected in the things that they're engaged with. If you're going healthy or going to the farm to table movement or what have you, and it all looks like everybody else. It doesn't feel like there's a space for you there or that you should be there. Or it's like, that ain't for me. You know, and you hear people say that. Well, that ain't our thing. Yeah, it is. It's actually was our thing before it was anybody else's thing. I'll be going off on people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look here. Let's talk about history. So it's really important for us to get connected. And every, again, like I said, everybody doesn't have to be a farmer, doesn't have to get into farming, but being connected to it, engaging with it, Find your Black farmers, support them. If there's an opportunity to bring that to your school or your community or your neighborhood, support it in some way and just uplift and highlight and just do the work of being connected in some way. So speaking so. of connection, how can we stay connected to you? What <laughs> is your website as well as any social media handles you'd like to share? I am patrickcityfarms.com. It's Patrick City Farms on Instagram and on Facebook. And on the website, I have all the information about how you can support me kind of locally and buying fresh produce. I do online sales. You can come to some local farmers markets. Also with Magnolia Network, you can watch the show Homegrown, where we're showing people how to kind of garden for themselves. And that's available through HBO Max and Discovery Plus. The best way to contact me is an email and not through the DMs on the socials. I'm a little bit older than I probably present. And I am like, I cannot do business on the Insta. So yeah, emails, J at patchworkcityfarms.com is the best way. Perfect. Well, we will be sure to include all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad Jamila was able to share her expertise with us today. If you're interested in watching her new show, Homegrown, it's now streaming on HBO Max, Amazon, and Discovery+. Plus. To learn more about her, you can also visit therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 290. And don't forget to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode right now. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the Internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas and Elise Ellis, and editing was done by Dennis and Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care.
Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.